Hey, good morning. Now we get to participate in a, a every two to four year tradition um, because for the eighth time in my adult lifetime, we are now voting in the most important election of our lifetime. <laughs> heard a car, a little radio commercial the other day. This politician was on there saying, you've probably heard it said many times that this is the most, and again, it was radio voice, the most important election of our lifetime. Well, this time we mean it. Like, I don't, think, I don't think you're making the point you meant to make there, buddy. Um, anyways, if you were here last week, uh, we were talking about finances, and I was talking about that really that one of the things that our political system has done is, is slowly killing the idea of generosity, that the need to be generous is always somebody else's responsibility. It's you, know, you need to pull yourself up. It's your, it's your responsibility. No, it's not my responsibility. It's the government's responsibility. It's the, the rich's responsibility. It's never, it's never my responsibility. And generosity is slowly dying. As I was thinking about that, there's a couple other things I'm really afraid that are that are that are dying a slow death here in our in uh, in our country. And one of them is nuance. And nuance is has the issues as you see them are not as simple as you see them. You think that that, that the issues and the ideas that, that it's it's just simple. And here's how I know it was simple. I was I was on the news the other day. And I was reading this article, and the article said it's very clear. And then I was on cable news, and cable news was explaining it to me. And cable news, it's all very clear. It's all very obvious. This is the right way, and there's a wrong way, and stupid and evil people believe this. And it's very clear. And, and, I, and I tell you, the issue is infinitely more complicated than the way that it has been explained to you. And you are convinced right now that I'm not talking to you, because you don't read those websites and you don't go to that cable news network. You read other websites and you listen to other cable news networks. And I promise you I'm talking to you. I promise. These things that you think that are so clear, there's a significant amount of nuance and and understanding about that. And there's a lot of depth. And, And dare I say another side, another perspective, which leads to the second thing that's dying and that's empathy. Empathy being the idea that I can really see the world from your point of view, and I get it. And, and so what you don't see anymore is someone expressing a political opinion, and someone then responds to that by saying, well, you know what, I really see what you're saying. That actually makes a lot of sense from your perspective. I, I get what you're saying. Thank you for sharing that with me. But the way that I think about it is a little bit different, and this, this is kind of how I think about it. And then that person goes, well, that is very interesting. Thank you for sharing that with me. Because I see now where you're coming from, but I still don't think what you're saying is significant enough to really kind of change my heart and mind about the way that I see it. And then you go, okay, and then that's it. There's a lot of political debate shows out there, and not one of them's ever gone like that. Because empathy is dead. If you disagree with me, you're either stupid or you're evil. And I, and I, will, and I will convince you of that because when you say something to me, you give me your political opinion. I'm like, oh, you just don't know. And so then I tell you, well, if you knew this, now, well, now, now you know. Well, I still disagree. Well, no, you must not have heard me. What I said was this. No, I still disagree. Oh, well, you're evil then. That, that, that's the way our political system works. Something is going to happen on Tuesday, and one of my strongest prayer requests has been is that we would all go to sleep knowing who the president was going to be, and this is not going to linger. 
But something is going to happen on Tuesday, and some people are going to be disappointed, and some people are going to express that disappointment in extreme, intense ways. I'm just saying to you that no matter what happens on Tuesday, I just ask you to be better. Be better than what you see. Be better than the politicians that you're voting for are encouraging people to be. Be better than the cable news networks. Be better than the articles. Be be better than that. You, you have been called to bring hope and light to a dark world. And we are not going to allow a world that continues to get darker in a lot of ways to make us dark as well. We are going to be the carriers of hope and light. So we can just be better. Generosity and nuance and empathy are not dead as long as God's people are carrying them. And so I just encourage you to do that no matter what happens on Tuesday, whether you are disappointed or not, whether you feel this is the most important election of our lifetimes or not, I ask you to represent God well on Wednesday. Awkward transition. All right, so we're starting a new series on Jacob. And as I was kind of preparing this, reading this story, I was thinking about this moment for me. And it happened... I believe it was, it was in my, uh, I can't remember if it was late in my freshman year in college or early in my sophomore year in college. And I don't know, some of you who know me in real life won't be surprised by this, but the people who you really only, your knowledge of me is kind of me on Sunday morning. He's like, that's kind of an over the top kind of personality. He's got, he's got the hand gestures and he can get really excited and then he gets really loud and he starts telling stories. He's, He's a funny guy. Stage Charlie's just got a lot. There's just, you just think, that's, that's a lot. Whatever that is, it's a lot. And you think, and, and if you imagine, like, that's who I am all the time, you would think it would probably be exhausting to, to, to be my friend or to be married to me or, or really to be around me. But it, I, that's not who I am all the time. It, it, it is a part of me, and, and I like that, but really it's more of a switch that I like to flip. Let's be, let's be hype. And so on Sundays, this is what I, you know, it's like, this is how I like to communicate in large groups, and it's, and it's cool, and then, and then there's other places, like, I, I, I'll, I'll flip the switch, if you've ever been with me to Razorback basketball game, it's like, there's like three switches that get flipped, I mean, just very loud, very animated, it's not fake, it's real, but it's not who I am, like, all the time. Most of the time, I'm pretty, pretty chill, you know? I, I mean, I'll, I'll still say things I think are funny or whatever, or I'll, you know, I was, you know, kind of cynical. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you figured it out yet, right? But mostly not a whole lot of hype. But there was a time in my life when that is exactly who I was all the time. All the time. All the time crazy, just trying to top myself with the dumb thing that I did yesterday with an even dumber, funnier thing today. And, 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 and got a lot of attention for it, a lot of praise, a lot of friends, a lot of laughs. I like the laughs. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not, right? How do ask me, like, for a service he's not in, she'll be like, how'd the service go? It's like, I said three funny things and they didn't laugh. She's like, well, what about the content? Content? I said funny things and they didn't laugh. It went terrible. It's awful. You see, good job. Now you're making me, encouraging me, right? And so, that, and so I, that's, that, that's what it was for me. People like me when I'm goofy, when I'm, when I'm loud, when I'm funny. And I was that guy all the time. And I remember this moment, I was in my girlfriend, soon to be fiance, soon to be wife's dorm room. And I was just kind of sitting there just chilling. We were about to go have dinner or whatever. And a roommate comes up to me and goes, what's wrong with you? 
Nothing. No, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. You're not being weird. You're not being loud. You're not being funny. What's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm just, I'm just chill. And then it, then it clicked. This is who I am. This is like, this is who they think that I am. I am, I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. I've, I've been that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a guy that is defined and, has, and is only good if he's acting goofy. And it was really this kind of life-altering moment for me where it's like, I'm going to be at rest and at peace with myself that there's a lot of times that I would rather just be and not have to be all of the things. Because I was allowing other people to define me. I was allowing people's responses to me to define me. I wasn't allowing who I genuinely was. I wasn't allowing who God was trying to make me be. I wasn't allowing that to define me. But other people's perception, their praise, and their perspective about who I was, that was what was defining me. And, and I remember switching. I was like, it was, it's never going to happen again, at least on a regular basis, that me being chill, at it, what's wrong with you? And I think about that, I've been thinking about that this week because the story of Jacob that we're going to be looking at, and Jacob's character in the Old Testament in Genesis, and he's kind of, he's the grandson of Abraham. If you know the story of Genesis, um, kind of got the little intro parts, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the story of Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, people get scattered, and there's kind of a hard break there at Genesis 12 where God chooses Abraham to make this great nation. I'm going to choose you, you leave your family, you come to this special promised land that I have for you. I'm going to make you into this great and powerful nation. You're going to be mine. And through you, the whole world's going to be blessed. He gives them this huge uh, promise and blessing. And then um, he, he, you know, his wife does not have a kid for a very, very long time until it's like it almost seems like it's almost too late. God finally blesses them with a son, Isaac. And Isaac, God, re, with, God reaffirms the blessing to Isaac. Just like, like I told your father Abraham, I am going to overwhelmingly bless you and you are going to be a great and powerful nation. And so now, now the blessing has moved from Abraham to Isaac and now to this point in the story, before we're about to introduce it to Jacob, Jacob and his, uh, Isaac and his wife Rebekah, as of right now, they do not have any kids. And so we're going to pick up the story here and we're going to see this person Jacob and how he is allowing other things outside of him to define who he is. Genesis 25, starting in verse 21. Isaac, again, this is the dad. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? Don't know if at this point she knows the idea of twins or she does. If she doesn't know the idea of twins, and this would be very troubling, or she does know about twins and she still knows this is not normal. I've talked to my aunt. I've talked to everybody. This level of fight inside of me, seeming like there's a fight, this isn't normal. So she asked God, what is going on here? Verse 23, the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So he tells her what's going on. You've got two kids in there. 
And they're battling, but this is a symbolic battle, something that is going to be happening for the rest of their lives and actually for generations to come. Because two great nations are going to come from them and they're going to be at conflict. And, and then he makes this prophecy about the two boys. And in fact, the younger of the two is going to be the ruler of the older one, which again, in that, in that culture would have been very, would have been very strange. I mean, the, the older one is the one that gets the greater inheritance, is the one that gets the blessing of the, the family, is always going to be the stronger one. So, but God says, in this sense, it's going to be reversed. The younger one is going to be the one that rules. So this is a prophecy that's made, again, before uh, Jacob and his brother Esau, they, they are born and all. Then we, in verse 24, we pick up with the birth. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Every now and then, as we're kind of walking through the life of Jacob, I'm just going to just kind of bring up some points that are relatively irrelevant to the point we're trying to make, but are just hilarious to me. So this kid comes out, he's kind of red-skinned, and then he's just furry everywhere, and he's so furry, they name him Harry, <laughs> which is hilarious. And you think, and you know, now with, with the, the, you know, with the, oh, well, I, I know what's going on there. I mean, he's probably premature a little bit because they were twins, still had that little fuzz on that hadn't fallen off yet. Sure, 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 sure. They named him Harry. That's funny. And two, it was true. This dude, we're going to find out a little bit later, this dude was just Harry his whole life. Can you just imagine? The baby comes out, he's like, man. I don't know what we were going to name him, but look at it. We've got to name this kid Harry. <laughs> That's what Esau means. Anyways, irrelevant to the story. Verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now that seems like, like irrelevant. It's just kind of a cute little thing. First baby comes out, and then it, the first baby comes out, you just see this little bitty hand that's kind of attached to the heel of the one. You think, oh, it's kind of cute, it's a little baby hand on the heel. And so they say, we're just going to name him. Baby puts his hand on the heel. And that's all that's so cute, except for the fact that the expression to grab someone's heel is very similar to our expression, you are pulling my leg. So pulling my leg, that means you're trying to trick me. You're trying to deceive me. And so holding on to the heel is the same thing. So when they decide that they're going to name him the one that holds on to the heel, they are naming him someone, you are deceiving, you are a deceiver, you are a trickster. We're going to name you deceiver. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you think you, you, you name a kid Jacob, maybe you got a brother named Jacob. We got some people in here that are named Jacob. We got some Jacobs around here. Good, solid, biblical name. It's the Old Testament, sure, 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 whatever. I'm not tainting the name for all of you. I'm just telling you what is happening right here. They named their child the one that deceives. And so what we have here in this story with this prophecy that God gives and then with this name that he's given, that before Jacob had done anything, God made a promise about him and his parents gave him a name. They made a promise, and he gave him a name. And so what happens here is that these things that are spoken over his life, you are going to rule over your older brother. His mom knew this, and I'm sure at some point his mom told him. His mom told him, hey, you, you're going to rule over your brother. 
So not only had he made this promise, his parents had given him a name. They called him Deceiver. Now, a name is an incredibly powerful thing. It, ju- it just is. It's just, it's just powerful. Names are powerful, especially in that culture. To name someone something was essentially to speak about their future. This is who we believe they are. This is who we believe they are going to be. That's why you see so many times cover to cover in Scripture, and we'll see it later in a few weeks in this story where God changes people's names. You are no longer this. You are now this. It's not just a name change. It is a, it is a reshaping, a re-steering of the life. You know, and you think, well, I mean, it's not like that anymore. Let me just tell you this. My, my mom almost named me um, her maiden name. So instead of Charles, my name would have been Garlington. And she was going to call me Gar. Now, I ask you this very sincerely, and my mom is watching. I ask you this very sincerely. Do you believe that everything in my life would be the same had I been named Garlington? Hey, Gar, you come, are you, would you come to that church? <laughs> there you go. One honest man in the crowd. Right? It, it, it matters. And we may not think about, you know, for me it was, you named Charles, your granddad is Charles, he went by Charlie, you're Charles, you're going to be Charlie. He was a basketball player. I was a basketball player. And we don't really think about necessarily the way, what, what, what the names mean, though in my case it turned out great because, I mean, Charles means strong and manly. <laughs> Heidi... She would, you, you, go, you probably don't know what your name means until you, until you go to like the Silver Dollar City or someplace or something, and you, and you find the little thing, the pen or whatever, and it says what the name means, right? How do you, when we first started dating, Heidi told me she could never find those with her name on it. And so I would always try to find one. And then ultimately I found one, this, like this cheesy Christian bookstore, and it would say your name and, and then what it meant and then a verse to go with it. <laughs> Heidi means goat herder. And <laughs> I promise you I bought that. And um, I gave it to her for her birthday. It was amazing. So our oldest, Maylee, Amanda, beautiful and beloved. I mean, in our hearts, man, we're speaking that into her. And, 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 and that is what she is becoming with Lauren Estelle, a victorious star. And we see that in her. And then we've got our, our, our blonde-haired uh, baby girl, Layla. And, and, and Layla means like dark beauty, and, and which clearly she's not. And then Heidi says, you can't make that joke. And I was like, I will make that joke. And she's like, no, because Layla means that, but then, then Sue means light. And so what that means, what we're saying is that out of darkness comes something beautiful and comes light. And so I can't talk about that anymore or I'll start crying again. But this is, I mean, these names, they, they, they matter. And just imagine, like if you were named a phrase that, that made sense in English. Imagine for Jacob. Deceiver, deceiver, come here. Trickster, come help your mom with the dishes. Deceiver, leave your brother alone. Deceiver, why do you keep doing that? Hey, deceiver. Over and over again for his whole life, this is what is being said 
hey, deceiver. And what we're going to find in, in this story of Jacob, we're going to see a guy who has, who has some things to live up to and or some things to avoid. The very beginning of his life, you are going to rule your older brother and you are going to carry with you this promise that has been extended from your grandfather to your, to your dad to now you. And for your whole life, we are calling and deciding that you are the deceiver. And we are going to see what Jacob does with that. And so the very first story we have is verse 29 of chapter 25 of Genesis as well. So now they're apparently probably teenagers or something like that. And we learn that Esau's a hunter, likes to go out and hunt, but Jacob likes to stay around the house with his mom. And so Esau would go out hunting. And in verse 29, we have this. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. So this is, essentially this kind of his inheritance. Again, as the older brother, he would get a significant portion of the inheritance and the younger son would get something. So essentially he's like, give me your portion. I'm going to give me the portion of your inheritance for this bowl of stew. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? And Jacob's like, well, then just give it to me. Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. In another series entitled Esau slash the hairy one, we would talk about the rashness here of Esau and what he does and how ridiculous it is. And again, just not how not particularly bright he was. He was the strong hunter and Jacob was the home, homebody. Hey, hey, give me that stew. Now sell me your birthright. Punch, punch, eat stew, right? But instead, Jacob like, essentially like, tricks him into selling him his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And then it says, and it makes sense, and Esau is really angry now. But it doesn't end there. The very next story, Isaac, their dad, is nearing the end of his life. He's blind. He can't see. He knows he's about to die, and he calls his older son to him and says, hey, listen, I'm about to die, but I want to bless you before I die. Go out and cook me my favorite, go out, kill some game, cook me my favorite meal and bring it to me, and I'll bless you. Mama hears about it and doesn't want older son to get the blessing. She wants a baby boy to get the blessing. And so she and Jacob craft this plan. Here, you just go get one of, one of our animals and kill it and we'll make a stew and you can take it in there to him and you get the blessing. He's like, I don't know. He's not those to me. We don't even sound the same. We don't look the same. He's like, he's blind. He won't know. He's like, what about my voice? He's like, when he hears, he's going to think, this isn't Esau. And he's going to want to be like, feel my arm. I mean, feel you, make sure it's you. And he's going to notice that my skin's real smooth. And then she's like, ah. I got a solution to that. And this is, again, this is a side note to the story that I only bring up because it's hilarious to me. So I go get an animal, cut off part of its skin and put that on your arm. And so then when he feels that, he'll know it's Esau. Esau was so hairy that in order to impersonate him, they had to take the skin of an animal. He's hairy like an animal. And so that's exactly what happens. He goes in there with the stew. He's like, this sounds like Jacob. Are you sure it's you? Send me your arm. He puts that animal fur right there next to him and goes, 
Yep, that's you, like, which is crazy, right? Anyway, it has nothing to do with the story. <clears throat> and so they trick dad into thinking that Jacob is Esau, and he gives the blessing to Jacob. And so he steals again with this plot. He and his mom, they trick the dad, they trick the brother they, they, they're incredibly deceptive in order to steal again something from Esau. So what does this mean? As we see that he's, he's been given this incredible prophecy about God, about the life that he's going to live, about what he's going to become. He's known as the deceiver. What do we learn about Jacob as all of these things happened before he was really even born what, what has happened to him? What is he doing with this, 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 this prediction, these things that have been put upon him? What, what is he becoming? And there's a couple of things we're going to talk about first. The first one is, is that he lived up to the name he was given. He did. They called him deceiver his whole life, and that is what he became. Deceiver, 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 deceiver. Every day, multiple days, multiple times a day, his whole life. And he became what they said. What they said. What strength would you have to have to overcome that? To be called, to be named deceiver, to hear your parents describe you that way every day, to retell the story and say it was essentially foretold by your little baby hand what you were. You are a deceiver. What strength do you have to have to be able to overcome that? Well, apparently, he didn't have it. And so the question I ask, do you have it? Do you have that power? Do you have the ability to overcome that? Because there are people that have spoken into your life about who you are and what you are like and what you're going to do and what you can accomplish and what you can accomplish well, man, it's a good thing that you're pretty because you're not very smart. That's the only way you're going to get a man is just by being pretty because you really, you're, I don't know how anybody can be your friend. You're kind of rude. I mean, you just kind of, I can't believe the way that you talk. I can't believe the way that you are. Why are you like that? Why are you so rude? Why are you so loud? You're never really going to amount to anything. With the way that you work and the way that you think and the way that you act, you'll be lucky to even get into college, much less ever make something of yourself. These people, they say these things. A parent says it. An older sibling says it. A friend says it. A teacher says it. A mentor says it. And they speak these things over you and they say, this is who you are. Are you proving them right or proving them wrong? Jacob didn't have the strength to do it. When I was in first grade, they made a decision in our school district to start a gifted and talented program in a, um, in a part of town, in a, different, in a different school, in a different part of town. So ultimately, it's going to this different place, this part of town. It was a completely different culture there. Different, different socio, socioeconomic, everything about it was different. And it was a really interesting decision that they made because one of the things that I'm sure that they didn't know was that in that culture, it was wrong to be smart. And some very, very hurtful things were said to other kids in this, area, in, in this school to the ones that were smart. Very hurtful, very, just very insulting put downs. It was wrong to be smart. 
And my mom would tell you, and it's true, that I've spent my whole life trying to not be thought of as smart. That's not what I want you to think of. What's Charlie like? I wanted them to think that I was athletic. So I worked really, really hard to be good at basketball and to be good at sports. And, and I've always wanted to be thought of as funny. And because smart is something you don't lead with, it's not something that you're proud of, it's something to be ashamed of. And it isn't until recently that I just kind of in the last few years talking to some other people who kind of grew up in similar environments, kind of how much I've spent in my life running from that and why. I've mentioned this before, if you've been here, I've had two different mentors that I've had. One told me that I was too nice. I would never be a good leader. Another guy told me, right after he fired me, you'll never be a successful pastor. People say things and they think they're just talking, man, but it matters. Words matter and you speak these things and then, and then, and then somebody speaks them to you and then you carry them. And he didn't have the ability to overcome it, at least not yet. We'll see as this story unfolds what happens. But it's not just simply that he lived up the name he was given. He also took what he wanted rather than trusting in God's promise. God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you this great ruler. You're going to rule over your brother and you are going to be the carrier of this blessing from your grandfather to your dad to you. But rather than trusting God to give that to him, he took it. I'm going to take it. He and his, his mom conspired to trick and to see, to, to steal from their brother. The rhetorical question that I ask is, what good did it do Jacob to steal these things from his brother? He steals the, the inheritance. He, he robs of blessing. What, what happens? Like, what did he get? And the answer to that really is nothing. Esau basically came to him afterwards and said, hey, guess what? When our dad dies, I'm going to murder you. Okay, seems fair, actually. And so mom hears about it and they make this plan to kind of send him away to, to live with some other relatives. Where we'll find out next week, he, he meets the original trickster. And bad things happen to him. He never really gets the inheritance. All he did was cause problems for himself because he did not have the patience to wait for the blessing and the promise of God. He decided to take it. And by taking it, he only caused problems for himself. He did damage to his family. He did damage to himself and delayed the ability of God to be able to bless him. That's all. Nothing good came from it. And we do this all the time. We know that God has something good for us. And rather than waiting, we take it. I see it with single people too often where you talk yourself in to a guy or a girl that you know is toxic for you, but at least they're here. And I want this so bad, I just have to take it because I cannot wait. Last week, we're talking about finances. And that last thing I said, and I hope it's not the only thing that you said, was that God wants you to enjoy what you have. But it begins because only you can only do that if I give generously and I save for the future and I prepare for emergencies, then I can enjoy it. But I can't, I can't, I can't wait to do this. This is too hard. It's too tedious. I'm just going to take now. 
And all you're going to do is cause problems and delay the, the blessing of God. This happens often with, 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 with wanting to have kids. It happened to us with, we, we knew, we knew that God wanted us to have a third kid. We just knew it. God, we just felt like God had promised that to us. We never went back on birth control with Lauren and it just never happened. 11 years is a long time to wait. We knew that God wanted us to move to Fayetteville and he wanted to bless us while we were here. Nine and a half years is a long time to wait for the house that you moved out of to sell. In the meantime, in nine and a half years, in 11 years, there's a lot of temptation to, 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 to reject God, to be angry at God, to, 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 to take, to make terrible decisions, to get what you feel like you are owed because I do not trust God in this process. So I'm going to take it. And if I say that you're going to have to wait for the blessing and the promise of God, the last type of illustration that you want me to use is a nine and a half year one, an 11 year one. If you just wait like between nine and 11 years, you're gonna see the overwhelming blessing of God. Nope, I need this now. And I will be patient with God for a week, a month, max a year. I cannot trust God that much. Jacob and his mom didn't trust God at all, it doesn't seem. They took for themselves rather than trusting God and just made everything harder. So I leave you with this. Who decides who you are? Do the negative words, thoughts, prophecies that people have put on you, does that define who you are? The woundedness that comes from that, does that define who you are? Do your desires define who you are? What you want, that is what you will take. And this is who I am. I am someone who takes what he wants. Or does the God of the universe define who you are? And I will allow him, his voice to be louder than collectively all the other voices that I've ever heard in my life. He tells me who I am. I am his beloved child who is with him forever. And he says he wants to bless me. And all I have to do is trust him and be patient. Can we? We've got this story in here, and at least up until this point, it's just negative. Can we, can we take this warning and say that I'm going to trust God more than, more than what I can take and more than what these voices are. So I encourage you, man, as we have some time of reflection, I want to try to be specific. I want you to spend some time really thinking. Do you have a defining moment or moments where people have spoken things over you and you feel like you are living those things out? Will you give those things to God today and say those things are no longer true? God, I trust you instead. Is there a delayed blessing in your life that you need to reclaim and, re- and repledge your trust and faithfulness to God in? Let's pray that for ourselves and for each other. Let's pray.